The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC is available online at www.overlandpark.cc. Good morning, church. Can y'all hear me? Okay. So happy to be here. Um, I was enjoying listening to Brent talk about the picture. And just to add some commentary, that picture is actually called Pale Blue Dot. Um, and Louis Giglio... Um, a pastor in Atlanta, I believe, he did an awesome sermon message uh, using that picture, the pale blue dot, and the, the sermon's called Indescribable. So for those of you that either have seen it, you're probably nodding your head like, yes, that is a totally awesome message. If you haven't, YouTube it, you'll definitely be blessed. It is an awesome message and just kind of a, a healthy reminder this morning even that like how in control God is, how big God is, and how, how to, out of control we are. And, and um, you know, it's, I was thinking while, while Brent was uh, sharing that about the, about the pale blue dot and how tiny earth was looking from that telescope, however many millions of miles away. And I, I was on the uh, Smith River in Montana for the last a um, little over a week, and I was so blessed. I had an amazing time, and um, for some of you, you may have saw on the news, there was a 5.8 earthquake in Montana, and it was kind of crazy. I've experienced one earthquake in my life, a very small one, when um, I was just out of college in Texas, and we lived on the third story of an apartment complex, and it kind of moved a little bit, you know, but it wasn't anything too crazy. In fact, it sounded like someone was just wheeling a really heavy cart down the hallway. Um, but this one, uh, and this was just this last week, I was sleeping in my tent on the riverside, and, and like I had probably went to bed about 8.30 or so, and cl- climbed into my tent, and I, the earthquake was sometime around 12.15 or 12.30, so I hadn't been sleeping that long. I didn't think I was in a deep sleep yet, and it just like, it started happening. I mean, it was shaking pretty, pretty legit. And I, so I got out of the tent, and I was like, I mean, we, like, this is an earthquake, and I I couldn't tell, like, am I in a dream or is this real? It was just kind of a bizarre experience. And I climb out of my tent. I was going to use the restroom. And all of a sudden, like, these rocks start falling off of the cliff face, cliff face down into the river. And it was the most bizarre sound. And, I mean, I was like, oh, my God, like, is the rapture happening? Like, it, like is, am I getting, what's happening? You know, I mean, it was but I had no fear. It was weird. Like, I wasn't scared, but I'm sitting there, and I'm kind of, you know, doing man things. And there's rocks falling off. Like, it's kind of your worst nightmare, but it was cool. I was like, oh, my. And I climbed back in my tent, and, like, you know, the earthquake had settled down, and the, the, there was just some, some of the smaller rocks kind of trickling down the rock face. And I was sitting there, and I'm like, wow, like, I'm really small, you know, like, I, None of, I have no control over, like, any of this. Like, I, the only thing I have control over is, you know, my, um, you know, the, the release of my urges. Like, outside of that, the, the Lord is so far, so high above this situation. So, anyways, I, um, that was a bizarre experience, but nonetheless, really, really, really cool. So, and thank you to the church for Loving my wife so well uh, while I was out. There were several men and women here that uh, extended invitations to love on my wife and help her with the kids and whatnot. 
you guys are such a gift, uh, and we are, are so thankful. So turn with me, if you would, to uh, the book of uh, 2 Kings, and we will be in chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 18. Lord, I just ask that you uh, purge my lips this morning, um, that, that everything spoken would be of you as, as we dig into your word, Lord. We ask that the Spirit of God rest upon us today, give us ears to hear and eyes to see uh, what the Lord would have for us this morning, in Jesus' name, amen. So, um, chapter 2, 2 Kings, um, this is Elijah ascending into heaven. So, and it came to pass, verse 1, when the Lord was about to take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. Then Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Bethel. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Now the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And he said, Yes, I know. Keep silent. Then Elijah said to him, Elisha, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me down to Jericho. But he said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. Now the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho came to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? So he answered, Yes, I know. Keep silent. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to the Jordan. But he said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. And fifty men of the sons of the prophets went and stood facing them at a distance, while the two of them stood by the Jordan. Now Elijah took his mantle, rolled it up, and struck the water. And it was divided this way and that. The King James says, hither and thither. I thought about reading it in the King James, but hither and thither sounds a lot cooler. Um, and uh, so that the two of them crossed over on dry ground. Verse 9. And so it was, when they had crossed over, that Elijah said to Elisha, ask, what may I do for you before I am taken away from you? Elisha said, please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. So he said, you have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. Then it happened as they continued on and talked that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them, and Elijah went up into a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it, and he cried out, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. So he saw him no more. And he took hold of his own clothes, and he tore them into two pieces. He also took up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him, and went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him, and he struck the water and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he, had also, when he also had struck the water, it was divided this way and that, hither and thither. And Elisha crossed over. Now when the sons of the prophets 
who were from Jericho saw him, they said, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him, and they bowed to the ground before him. Then they said, look now, there are 50 strong men with your servants. Please let them go and search for your master, lest perhaps the spirit of the Lord has taken him up and cast him upon some mountain or into some valley. And he said, you shall not send anyone. But when they had urged him till he was ashamed, he said, send them. Therefore, they sent 50 men, and they searched for three days, but did not find him. And when they came back to him, for he had stayed in Jericho, he had said to them, did I say to you, do not go? So, kind of an awesome story we've got here between Elijah and Elisha. Now, I thought it would be cool, you know, Elijah, Elijah with a J, is kind of known as the hairy man, you know, like he was the little bit of the scary guy. Um, so, you know, given that I was in Montana for, you know, nine days or so, I was starting to take on some Elijah form, you know, but I thought you guys may not like me being up here in a, with a little mantle and a, and a really scraggly beard, but I thought about it. Um, but just to, um, you know, give you a little background, um, you know, Elijah, probably the most famous story was him on Mount Carmel, right? And he he takes the, the bull, you know, and he's challenging the, the prophets of, of Baal, right? Um, or Baalzebub is what they called it, you know, the, um, the god of the Philistines. And, you know, Elijah on Mount Carmel, you know, he takes his bull and they have their bull. And he's like, all right, guys, you, you call to your god and see if he strikes this bull, right? And if he, if he accepts the offering of the bull, then Baal is legit. You know, otherwise... Whenever you guys are done doing your thing, you know, I'll show you who God is. And, and, and does it in pretty incredible fashion, you know. And he kind of mocks them a little bit. He's asking them, is your God sleeping? You know, what is he doing? Is he using the restroom? Where is he, right? He's been here, we've been here five hours and nothing's happened to your bull, right? And he said, now let me, let me show you something. And he dumps water, right, all over the bull. And then he creates a moat of water around the bull. So this thing's soaking wet. And then he's like, all right, Lord, bring it. And then, you know, the Lord strikes the mountain and splits the thing in two. And it was quite a scene. And so there was a lot of people um, with just tremendous respect for Elijah. He was, he was a man of God. He was, he was feared in the sense that the people of Israel during his day uh, believed that, that he was as, as close to their modern-day Moses as, as they could have gotten. And so... You have Elisha with an S. He is like his, um, you know, his uh, apprentice, so to speak, right? Elijah was like the spiritual parent or the spiritual father or mentor of Elisha. And so um, it's really neat that we see um, this, this forecasting, this, this foreshadowing that these people knew Elijah was going to be raptured. He was going to be taken up in a whirlwind, right? He did not see death. The Lord just took him. So we'll come back to that, which uh, is, is neat in and of itself. But what I want to get to uh, intimately is this idea that Elisha followed Elijah so relentlessly, right? Elijah seemed to be like, man, all right, we're, we're here at Gilgal. I'm going to go on to Jericho. You, you know, I'm going to go on to Bethel and to Jericho. You, you kind of, he's like, nope, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, man, I am hanging with you. And I just noticed uh, a, a, 
a parallel between the way that Elisha followed Elijah and the way that we should be following the Lord Jesus. And so um, the first place, uh, there's going to be four places that we're going to talk about um, that Elijah took Elisha. And, you know, the thing that, that, that blew my mind was that Elijah said to Elisha, all right, man, like you've been following me around, like, you know, I think he was sort of testing his faith in a sense. But before he, he departed to be with the Lord, he said, man, there's one, you know, if there's one thing that you could ask for, what would it be? He said, man, a double portion. Like, I've seen what God's done in your life, the Mount Carmel situation. I mean, you name it. The entire life of Elijah uh, is incredible. And he said, man, I want that times two. Like, go ahead and just double cheese that burger, man. Like, I, I, I want what the Lord's done in your life. I want double. And, he, and, and uh, you know, Elijah's like, man, you have asked a difficult thing. Like, I don't know. Don't know. Uh, but that is, is an incredible ask. And, you know, I did ask well, if there's one thing and, and, and you came with it. So, um, you know, if you see me, that's, you will be the recipient of this double portion if you see me when I'm taken up into the whirlwind. And so we'll, we'll come back to that. But the, the four places, in, in, you know, for us to live the double portioned life, right? Like we all talk about or we think about, should, that we like desire to be blessed by the Lord, right? Like we desire to walk with Jesus. We desire to, to know uh, what it's like to, to experience the Lord and his forgiveness, his, his graciousness, also his, his power, right? Like we desire that the, that the spirit would move in us in powerful ways. And that's how we know and feel that like we're confirmed, like we're, we are Christ-loving, Jesus-following, you know, born-again children of God that are going to be born into the kingdom. And so um, Elisha, you know, is, is a model for us of following Jesus in the sense that there's these four places that Elijah took him. And the first is Gilgal. Gilgal being the place of purification. So if you remember, Gilgal was the place where the Lord, when Joshua led the people across the Jordan, right, the first time to go into the promised land, Gilgal was the first place that they went to, right? And remember the 12 spies that they'd sent out, and 10 of them said, no way, man, we're not going in there. We're not going into the promised land. We're like grasshoppers in the sight of these people, man. There are giants in that land. You know, and Joshua and Caleb said, no, man, we're, gonna, we're going. We're doing it. The Lord's going to give us favor, and we're going. And the first thing they did, though, when they crossed the Jordan was that at Gilgal, the Lord said to circumcise every male in the camp, right? Like, could you imagine, like, 95% of these guys are scared for their life, and then they get, they get the situation, you know, at Gilgal, where, where there's a circumcision. I mean, a highly, they're already in enemy territory. They're already scared, and there's giants. And then the Lord says to proceed with a circumcision right before they're called to go into battle. I mean, I don't know about you guys. But I, that's the last thing I would want to have happen before I was going in to fight people that were probably 10 times my size. But nevertheless, it happened. And there's an important lesson in there, right? Like the Lord wanted them to, to, to be in that place of purification. Like it was symbolic of um, the fact that we have got to peel back the flesh, right? Like if we want the double portioned life, if we want to live a life that is blessed with the Lord 
and, and where we're filled with Jesus and, and we are living a life that's kingdom focused. The first step to a double portion life is come to the place of purification. Come to your Gilgal. Come to that place where you are peeling back the flesh, where you are, are confessing the sin in your life and allowing the Lord to be faithful and just and forgive you of that sin, right? Like there's no forgiveness uh, of sin apart from confession of sin, right? Like the, you know, we all talk about the, the magnificent love of Jesus and boy, is it magnificent. But in order to be the recipient of his forgiveness, you have got to come to a place of confession. You have to acknowledge the weaknesses of the flesh and then allow the Lord to replenish um, the, the areas where our sin nature has fallen short, right? So Gilgal, step one to the double portion life is Gilgal, the place of purification, crucifying the flesh, right? Jesus said, you know, to, to crucify the flesh, L- lay it down, like the Brent song. I love that song. Lay it all down, lay it all down, lay it all down. Like it doesn't get any more clear than that. Just lay it, lay it down. Um, emptying of the self, the crucifying of the flesh is the first step. The second place he went to was Bethel, right? Many of you know Bethel means the house of God. Um, and, you know, this is the place of revelation. So this is where Jacob, right? You may remember the, the, the vision of Jacob's ladder, right? Where he was, he was concerned and he felt absent from the Lord. And it was at Bethel where Jacob saw the vision of the angels ascending and descending from heaven. He said, oh, man, it's, this is good. You know, he was, he was so discouraged, Jacob was. And then he, he, he sees this vision of the ladder and the angels ascending and descending. He said, man, it is good. This is the Lord. The, the, the Lord is here. He is with me. And so, um, you know, the, the, the second step here is, is be, just being in the house of God, like, is the second step to a double portion life, right? I mean, and man, Molly and I, we have had lived through multiple seasons, actually, of absence in the local church. We really did. And, you know, we kind of, I fell into the, the distraction or the mindset that, man, I felt like I could just, you know, I could get in the word and I could listen to worship music and, you know, I can high five my Christian bros and sisses and it's all going to be good, but I don't really need the church, you know, like I'll still tithe, like I'll send some money to, you know, hither and thither, <laughs> but I, it didn't really feel like I needed the local church, you know, and then I read in Hebrews 10, it's just, do not forsake the gathering of yourselves, like, there's just something about worshiping with each other, I mean, like, it never gets old, man, I watch listening to Brent and Michael play up here, just, we're blessed to have the opportunity to gather together in the name of Jesus, to love on each other, to give glory to the Lord, and I promise you, like my experience has been, and I believe this is biblical, that God's intentions at, to some degree in your calling, spiritual calling for your life, involve the local church somehow, some way. Whether it's teaching, preaching, playing music, serving in the, who knows? It could be a combination of all of it as you grow and mature and the Lord does what he wants with your life. But the local church is so important. And it, like, I, I was saying earlier, um, like Seema and Amy, and there's some, some women in the crowd here that blessed my wife while I was gone. You know, my wife felt like, you know, Abby and, and Jimmy were in Oklahoma, and I was in Montana, and she kind of was probably feeling like, oh, my God, I got these three kids under five, and my husband's gone, and my friends are gone, you know. 
feeling the enemies wanting to come in, right, and, and, and provide that uh, a word of isolation. You know, he wants her to feel like she's a sheep away from, the, away from the flock, but she's not. You know, the church, the women here, like, I, the, through the, I believe the inspiration of the Lord, we're like, man, reach out to Molly. Like, let's, let's bring her in, man. She's good. Like, she's in the family of God, and she's taken care of, you know. And I came back to a happy wife which is really cool, man. When you go on vacation and you come back and your wife is happy, like daddy's going to go on another vision trip. Now, but it's really neat. And that's the church, though, right? Like if you're out on your own, man, the enemy is going to, to seek, kill, and destroy you spiritually. It will happen. So it's just the house of God is the second step. Being involved in the church, and, and that's not some major call to action to you guys. It's just a recognition that like, as we're thinking of through, through the lens of the double portioned life, right? Like, I want to be like Elisha. Like, man, I want a double portion. That's what it takes. The Lord is moving about the body of Christ, right? And, and, and being in the house of God and being available to be used by the Lord however he desires is, is, is an important step. Step three, place number three was Jericho. It's a place of confrontation, right? Like, Jericho, they're... You know, the first time, you know, so they go to Gilgal, um, they get the circumcision, and, and, then, and then God's calling them to Jericho, right? And he's like, oh, yeah, you know the story, march around the wall six times, you know, six days, and then the seventh, the walls are going to come crashing down, and you're going to take over the city. Um, which, I don't say that quickly or lightly, like it's, you know, it's just an overly common story, but I mean, an amazing situation, right? The Lord called them to circumcision, a place of purification at Gilgal. They crucified the flesh, right? They peeled it back. They, they laid down their own willpower. They laid down their own strategy or plan. I'm sure there were some guys in camp that were like, oh, man, like, here's how we're going to take Jericho, right? Like, we're going to make this homemade catapult, and, like, Jim Bob's going get to get the M80s, and, like, we're going to pour a little gasoline, and, like, we're, that's how we're going to take this thing down. The Lord's like, no, you're just going to go over there, and you're just going to walk around it. You know, six times, and the seventh time it's going to go down. And, um, you know, but I'm thankful for my good friend and, and pastor, John Corson. He said, um, you know, uh, uh, that the Spirit of God in our lives is like the steam engine in, in, on a locomotive. Like, in, in, we're t in, in the spirit of Jericho, right, the place of, uh, of confrontation, like God is going to call us into the fire. He's going to call us into the battle. Spiritual warfare is real. You know, there is an enemy out there. His name is Satan. He has a legion of angels, and their mission is to steal, kill, and destroy your life spiritually and physically. That's the reality of the spiritual warfare that we're in, but we're not to be scared, right? There is no fear for those who are in Christ. Like, God is in control, right? Like the pale blue dot or the rocks falling from the cliffs. Like, he is in control. But the Spirit of God is like the, the, the engine. And this is, John gave me this parallel, and I was, I was so, I, I just really sunk in with me. It's like it, when, when the Lord fills us with his Spirit after we've been saved, right, we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, and we are baptized with the Holy Spirit, and then the process of sanctification uh, begins in the life of a believer. And the Holy Spirit is that engine of that locomotive, like, the steam engine, man, like it powers the train. And, you know, there's also a horn. And I think a lot of people like 
see the spirit as like the, the horn, like toot toot, you know, like I raised my hands at church or, you know, I threw a little money in or, oh, I heard this song and I had this crazy emotional experience with the Lord, like toot toot, like no. The, the spirit of God is the, is the engine that runs the train that storms the gates of hell. You know, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Like, God is calling us and has filled us with his spirit to be that engine for the locomotive that is taking over souls away from the hands of Satan who is trying madly to keep them in his hands. God is greater though, right? And so I, I mean, encourage you guys that like, you know, the spirit of God, like I, I, it's kind of common in, in the American church particularly where it's just like, you know, as music becomes more, you know, like emotional and like people are just feel connected to Jesus like with these like, you know, songs and there's, you know, there's messages about gold dust falling from the ceiling and there's all sorts of different movements within the church and all kinds of stuff, right? It's all like, you know, they're all tied to a uh, spiritual, like, like seeking signs of the spirit, right? And that's not what the Lord calls us to. Like, the Holy Spirit never calls attention to himself, ever. He's the helper. He always points to Jesus, always. So don't be distracted or confused by signs and wonders or, or movements of the Holy Spirit. Just look for Jesus, man. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever and will always be. Um, and that comes to the, to the fourth place of the Jordan, right? Um, and in the Jordan, it, I'm just going to read exactly what I wrote because, uh, because I liked it, but... If we want to walk and live in the power of Jesus, we must take the steps of expectation. This is the fourth and final step to the spirit-filled double portion life. Pray with expectation, greet with expectation, work with expectation, play with expectation that God will use you to make himself known in everything that you do. And it's, you know, I just believe that to the core that as they got to the Jordan, right, the first time and God called them to carry the ark across the river in order to encounter the promised land. The waters did not part until they put foot in the water, right? So there was an expectation. Like as I was in Montana, I'm, I'm in the Madison River and I got hip waders on and I'm slinging the fly rod and it's all good. I'm waiting to get bit by a big nasty trout. And, but I was thinking to myself like, man, you know, it's, it's, the river doesn't rage from shore to shore, right? It rages in the middle or off to one side, and then there's a calmer area, you know, to one direction or another. And it's like, man, I was, I was looking out over the Madison. Like, there's no way I could walk across that thing. Like, if I got two-thirds of the way out there, I mean, I'm just going to get taken under. Like, that current, if you get out there kind of far, I mean, it's like all you can do to hold yourself, man, and like the water's just rolling over you, you know? And I kind of was thinking about this message and the Jordan, how like Joshua, you know, he's like, not, I mean, I'm carrying a fly rod, right? This thing weighs maybe three pounds. I don't know what it weighs, but it's not a lot. And I'm kind of like mumbling and stumbling, you know, in the, in the swifter water. He's got the Ark of the Covenant. Like this thing is however many inches thick of gold, full acacia wood, long poles. You know the story, right? The cherubs on top. Man, he's like, yep, that thing's raging, but here we go. You know, he just walks 
with expectation, man. Like, God's going to part this thing. He said he was going to. Like, what, else, what other option do we have? Stay on this side of the Jordan? Or he said, to, he said, go. This is the land that I have given you and your descendants. It's a promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the whole family of Israel. He's like, all right, man, let's roll. We're going. Feet in the water, and then <whistles> hither and thither, the water is parted, right? So, what, you know, we, God desires that we walk in this place of expectation, like that we expect that the Lord is going to move with our neighbors. Like we got him off that series, but what if, what if the church would bless the neighborhood? Man, God wants to bless the neighborhood. Like he wants to move in your neighbors, and he wants to move in with that man or that woman at work, or he wants to move in that guy at the grocery store that you checks out your food every time at Price Chopper. He wants to move in that landowner that you lease some, some ground from, you know, that you hunt on. He, he wants to move it with your college buddies that you go on a Montana trip with, right? And you don't know what God's doing in their life, but you believe in with expectation that, like, God is going to use you there. Like, you are there for a reason. It's not just to catch trout. He says, I will make you a fisher of men, you know? And I go on this trip with the expectation God is going to move in one of my buddies' lives. Like, I love these guys. And they don't know Jesus, you know? And we all love trout fishing, and praise God for that, man. His creation is amazing. But the goal of the trip, man, is to just see God move. You know, it was cool when my buddies got sick on the trip, heat sickness, bad. And it was, it was really bad. He was hurting. His eyes were swollen. His, his skin was burning. I mean, he was struggling. And I know he's not a believer, and I, I, I just, like, he was kind of isolated from the group, not intentionally. People were just trying to give him some space, let him get in the shade, get in the cold water, chug a pe Pedialyte, anything, right? This guy was hurting. And I just went over there, and I'm like, I just put my hand on his head, and I'm like, Lord, I just pray for Cameron. I pray that you'd heal him. I pray you'd take this sickness away from him. We got five days, no cell phones, no anything on the river, on the Smith River, Montana. And, like, we, we need you here, Lord. I pray for, for shade, pray for cloud cover, and I pray for colder weather, that he would be here. And, he, and he, God did. Like, I, there's no magic in me. There's nothing. But I believe that the Lord just led me over there. And, like, I prayed for him, you know. And I believed in expectation. Like, I don't have uh, greater faith than anybody in this room. I've got, I've got half a mustard seed of faith, you know. But I believe that God gave me the, 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 the faith to go over there and believe that he was, was going to heal this situation. Like, he was going to take care of it. And I, my... Like, my expectation was not that he would be healed, but my desire, my heart was, Lord, I don't know how to reach this guy, man. Like, I love this guy. I've gone to college with this guy. He is a, I love this guy, but he's not saved. Like, I don't know how you're going to get to this guy, Lord, but I know that you want to. And if me saying a little prayer over him for some cloud cover to help him feel better so we can finish this trip safely and, and in a fun way, may it be so. And he came back to me that night, and he was feeling better. He was on the up. And he said, man, thanks for taking that to the Lord, bro. He goes, the temperature dropped almost 20 degrees, and there was solid cloud cover from 2.30 p.m. when I said that prayer all the way till about 10.30 at night. We had cloud cover, no sun, and, it was, and the fishing was awesome. So it's like, wow, you know? Like, there's nothing I can say or do or anything, but, man, I believe that God sent me on that trip to save a man. Now, I don't know if he didn't accept Jesus like on the spot, you know, but who knows? Maybe he goes home in this week and he's thinking about this and he's seeing the work of the Lord in my life and he's like, man, there is something to that Haddock guy. Like there's something there, man. 
And I know it's not of him because he's kind of a piece of junk like I am. But, man, he's got Jesus, you know? And he takes stuff to the Lord, like this God character. You know, the world, the cool thing in the world to say is, like, throw it out there for the universe. Dude, the universe, like Brent was saying, man, it's tiny to the Lord. It's a pale blue dot to our God. He is huge. And so we just believe and we live with expectation that God is going to use us. And in my opinion, that's the double portion life, you know? We just lay it down. We just crucify the flesh. You know, it, it, as, we, as we come to Gilgal, we, we participate in the house of God, right? Like we gather it together and we bless each other and we pray for each other. We serve each other and we give glory to God in that. And then we believe that God calls us into the fire. He calls us out to storm the gates of hell. And he equips us with the locomotion, with the, with the engine of the locomotive that never runs out of gas, and that's the spirit of God. And he gives us that. And then we, we have the confidence to storm the world with expectation that God is going to move in the midst of our families and our friends. And in the example I just gave with Cameron, man, people we love, he is going to move in their life. And so I'll close with this, that, you know, the, the sons of the prophets, the, I'll call them the immature in the faith, they'll, Elijah was raptured. And they said, well, let's go look for him. Like, he's just got to be, like, right around the bend, you know. He's like, no, don't even go look, you know. And he finally says, well, whatever, just go look for him if you want. Just have, have your way. And they go look, and they look for three days. Kind of a coincidence, right? Three days, they couldn't find him, just like Jesus. They couldn't find him because he's risen, you know. And just like Elijah, he was risen. He was lifted up, raptured. Whether this church you know, in this generation, in my generation, whether we're raptured or not, we still live with this expectation, the hope. One of the core hopes of the Christian is, is, is this idea that the Lord's going to take us up. Whether it's in the event of the rapture or whether it's what I call a personal rapture. You know, if I roll over with something that the Lord brought my way, I'm going, I know where I'm going regardless, and that's the hope that I live for. And so uh, as we close... Um, I just want to remind you guys that, that, that the, the receiving of the double portion was, the, was this promise that if you see me when I am taken up, you will receive the double portion. And so just keep your eyes on Jesus. As Elisha was keeping his eyes on Elijah, keeping his eyes on the promise of the double portion life, may we keep our eyes on Jesus that we too might be the recipient of the double portion life. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at www.overlandpark.cc.